the La Crosse Public Library Archives presents Dark Lacrosse Stories, a series in collaboration with the La Crosse Tribune. Dark Lacrosse is a suite of programs that feature the seedier side of lacrosse history and also include a downtown walking tour, a trolley tour, and an annual stage production with new content each year. Harry! Harry, are you awake? Harry, you awake? I am now. I want to talk to you about something. Orville, if this is another one of your brilliant escape plans, save it. I don't want to hear anymore. Just go to sleep. No, no, listen. I know how we can get out of here. Orville, there is no way in hell we can get out of this cell. So you might as well forget it about it and go to sleep. I know we can't get out of this cell. The guards are going to do that for us. Is your plan to ask them nicely? Say, pretty please? No, listen. Here's my plan. You're going to ask to see the jail's barber. While you're there, you lift a pair of scissors. Right about when you're getting done with your haircut, I'm going to ask to use the phone to call my lawyer. I'll have the straight-edge razor I lifted last week. Now that kiss-ass trustee Dewey Minerts, he'll be taking you to and from your haircut. You can take him, can't you? Easily. Right. Turnkey Bob Garrow on duty, I'll ask to make my call. With both of us out of the cell, I'll take care of Garrow, we grab his keys, and simply let ourselves out. All we have to do then is lift a car, and we're out of here. Orville, you might have something there. All we need is a day that Garrow and Minerts are both on duty, and that's the day we can escape. That was the plan of a 19-year-old auto thief named Harold Chamberlain and 35-year-old inmate named Orville Moore from St. Paul, Minnesota, who was awaiting trial in La Crosse for armed robbery. It was July 20th, 1935. Their plan worked. While both men were out of their cells, Harry Chamberlain attacked trusty Dewey Minerts, and Orville Moore pulled a straight razor from a sleeve and held it to turnkey Bob Garrow's throat and said, Bob, you son of a bitch, I gotta have those keys. Garrow responded, boy, you can have them. The commotion was heard by jail's gardener, Andrew Youngin, who called the police. The call was answered by officers Clarence Koblitz, Aaron Sanford, Joseph McGrath, and Jack Fitzpatrick. Fitzpatrick, heralded as a top-notch driver, was behind the wheel, and Koblitz luckily grabbed a 30-30 rifle on the way out of the station. When they arrived, Moore and Chamberlain had found an unoccupied blue cab and were speeding off. The officers made chase. Little did Moore and Chamberlain know that the cab they were driving was fitted with a device that prevented cab employees from driving at excessive speed. The police quickly gained on them. At 2nd and La Crosse Streets, the fugitives fired on the squad car. The police did not return fire at that time, however. Heading south, the cab driven by Chamberlain suddenly pulled to the side of the road. Thinking the fugitives were giving up, Officer Aaron Sanford leapt from the squad car and approached the back of the cab. Suddenly, through the back window, he saw a gun being raised. He dropped to the ground just as a shot blew out the back window of the cab and went whizzing over his head. Officer Koblitz reared up the 30-30 and fired as the cab started to pull away. Chamberlain was struck in the neck and back, killing him instantly. Moore frantically pulled his dead partner from behind the wheel and took off driving. A moving gunfight was racing down 2nd Street, moving toward the old wagon bridge. Moore fired at the police when he could. Officers Koblitz and Sanford returned fire while standing on the squad car's running boards. As the cab was crossing the Milwaukee Road overpass, Moore was hit. The cab swerved and struck 10 guardrails before coming to a stop. Moore and Chamberlain were dead. The blue cab had 11 bullet holes in it. It became an exhibit for many years at the county fair, a reminder to all in attendance of the bitter fruits of crime and violence.
And now I'd like to welcome in Anita Taylor-Doring, Senior Archivist and the Archives Department Manager at the La Crosse Public Library, who did some of the initial research for this story. This story came to light for us from Daniel J. Marcuse, The History of the La Crosse Police Department, 1870 to 1990, and we followed up with a lengthy string of newspaper articles. When you first read about it, you can't help but visualize automobile chase scenes of gangster movies during the Prohibition era, like Bonnie and Clyde, with one driver and their gun-toting partner hanging outside of the passenger window or standing on the running board shooting a rapid-fire machine gun. Only this tale involves a pair of unlikely friends who hatched a successful plot to escape the La Crosse County Jail. Built in 1890, the La Crosse County Jail in this story was actually the county's third jail and was located at 1003 Zeisler Street, the current site of the Belmar Apartments. It was perched on the southern edge of the La Crosse River Marsh, northeast of downtown. A formidable building made of stone and brick, its Romanesque revival appearance gave onlookers the illusion of an impenetrable fortress. The front part of the building that faced Eisler Street was the sheriff's residence and offices. Yes, the sheriff's family actually lived in the jail. This was the first La Crosse County Jail to have separate areas for incarcerated females, jailed juveniles, and an inmate hospital ward as well. The cells themselves were attached to the main part of the building, but in the back that faced the embankment. This building served as the La Crosse County Jail from its completion in 1890 to 1965. Harold Chamberlain, the 19-year-old auto thief, was from La Crosse's north side, and Orville Moore, a 35-year-old thief with a national reputation, was, were unlikely cellmates. It wasn't the first time Moore spent time in this institution as a guest of La Crosse County law enforcement. The guards sensed the pair were getting along a little too well with each other as cellmates and purposely split them up, but it was too late. They had already hatched a plan when the right guard combination was on duty. While the police department had recently purchased bulletproof vests and an armored vehicle at the same time as this event, the responding officers didn't take any of this equipment with them when they left the station, not knowing the true nature of the disturbance. Koblitz, the policeman credited with the kill shots, did have presence of mind to grab a 30-30 rifle on his way out of the station, although at this point the responding officers had no idea that the fugitives were even armed. Because this story could have easily turned out for the worse, a lack of communication between officers was duly noted by police and lacrosse citizens. Koblitz's partner, Aaron Sanford, was almost shot by the fugitives as he left the squad car trying to overtake the stolen vehicle. As the chase continued, Stanford was left in the street alone. He wound up having to hitch a ride back to lacrosse to obtain a coroner, as police had no radio communication. The remaining officers wound up directing traffic at the scene until help arrived. The following month, the police department requested from City Council funds for the cost of a two-way radio system. In July 1938, almost two years after this jailbreak, police radio station W9XCOE was in business. Squad cars were equipped with radios so the Central Police Station could communicate with officers and vice versa. The protocol at that time was one officer drove while the other operated the radio equipment. While the fugitive stolen Voss Cab Company automobile was riddled with 11 bullet holes, a token of the successful Lacrosse Police Department's gunfight, it is not known what happened to it after it was exhibited for many years at the Lacrosse County Interstate Fair as a silent sentinel to fairgoers about the dangers of crime. Thank you for listening. Music